ensure that everybody learns to be kind and compassionate and accepting of, of other people, even if they don't necessarily agree with their point of view or it's not what they want for themselves, but to live in a world where people feel, where people are kind and compassionate and act in a way that helps people feel safe. That's the goal. My name's Ash, and I'm a proud lesbian woman, the community engagement manager at Midsummer, and currently reside on Mirarang Gadarang country. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this podcast episode was recorded, the Jajawarang and Tangarang lands of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you live, work and play today, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. The episode you're about to hear is with Dr Linda, who is a sexologist and has been a sex education teacher for over 12 years. Dr Linda is drawn to anything outside of the mainstream and shares the ways that she has had lasting impacts on generations of children by teaching them respect, openness and acceptance of their own bodies as well as others. As you may have guessed, this episode features conversations around sex and sex education, so listener discretion is advised. I hope you enjoy this enlightening chat with Dr Linda. I'm Dr Linda Kirkman and I'm a sexologist with a special interest in non-mainstream things, whether it's around gender or sexuality or the kinds of things that people enjoy. And I always take the approach that the important thing is that we don't try to fit into a box because the problem is the box, not us. So the, the world isn't binary and no one should be expected to be forced to occupy a binary space. What drew you into this space today, into this storytelling space? I've been reflecting on how I got to be where I am now in my own sense of identity and um, kind of putting things together using labels relatively recently like you know months recently I was filling in a form and I ticked the non-binary box for gender and I just had this it just felt amazing Oh, oh, I mean, I've always thought if there's a spectrum, then I'm definitely not a, I'm definitely somewhere in the middle rather than on either end of a gender spectrum. But that, that sense of joy and, and wonder that came from just ticking a box on a form um, was one of the reasons why I wanted to come and talk today about reflecting on how did I evolve to be who I am and labelling who I am, mm. working out what box I'm not in. <laughs> so tell me more about that, the coming on that journey. When I was in secondary school, I won an end-of-year prize and they said, choose a book that you want us to give you. And I chose a book of Aubrey Beardsley's drawings. So Beardsley drew a lot of naked people doing quite kinky things. Um, I think my school was a bit taken aback that they bought me the book through through 
undergraduate uni in the 1970s, being really open and conscious that there were other things going on, but the queer scene wasn't anything like as overt as it is today. And I followed a pretty heteronormative path just because that was that was the mainstream, and I and I didn't see a clear way to go other places. Yet when I started teaching sexuality education in the in 1990 to year eight students, so 12-year-olds, really, it was really important to me that I, well, I framed sex ed, we began with communication skills and conflict resolution. And and I was really inclusive of LGBTIQ identities. And what I was teaching was, you don't need to put yourself in any particular box or do any particular behaviours. Uh, but it's taken a while to reflect on, like, like ticking that box recently, to reflect Ironic box ticking, happy in a box. That's having just said, to hell with boxes. <laughs> um, that I'm preaching, but not necessarily practicing. So, and then reflecting on identity. Is it about how you feel inside, or is it what you do? And I know it's not about performative. What you do, it's about who you are, and it brings me joy to. To hang out with in the to, to identify as queer, to hang out in the queer community, and I really love the lack of specificity about the word queer, because it doesn't it doesn't there isn't a box for queer. It's it's who you are, and the fact that queer can also be really fluid, the fluidity of uh, the potential for identity and understanding, and growth and development. Did that make sense? It did to me. It was a bit of a stream of consciousness rave, really. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) So, yeah, moving into this, you know, fluid space, kind of away from boxes and all the heteronormativity, what do you think for people who are, are struggling with this, I guess, struggling with the idea of this is how it could be? I hear your questions asking about, individuals thinking about themselves and to feel safe about coming into community or identifying that there is a community and they might fit with it. And my world is quite skewed because that's the, that's the social media I seek and the company I seek. So, um, and in the work I do, it's obvious from how I promote myself that I'm really open to diversity of all kinds. And nor, I hate the word normal. Making making common and not to say normalising, but making awareness and acceptance of diversity of all kinds mainstream is probably the best way to go, and to ensure that everybody is, learns to be kind and compassionate and accepting of of other people, even if they don't necessarily agree with their point of view or it's not what they want for themselves, but the to live in a world where people feel, where people are kind and compassionate and others feel and act in a way that helps people feel safe. That's the goal. And I think wish, what I see overall is that's how it goes most of the time. Again, that's my skewed world because I seek out those people and those places and those online spaces. People who set out to be confrontational and obnoxious 
and are easily offended, probably should go and see therapists. <laughs> or get or do the work anyway, if that mm-hmm. seeing a therapist is one way of doing the work. But I'm thinking about gendered spaces specifically. Back in the 70s, there were consciousness raising groups and people would get together and discuss women's liberation, as it was called then. And there was even a government-sponsored formalised discussion group that produced a, a book around how we saw gender in the relation to society. And today I'm, I'm aware of friends who have male groups, groups of men, people identify as men, who get together and just hang out and are kind and they compete about the food they bring and they cook to, for the event. and they, It's a safe space. Tell me about your time in Bendigo. I've lived in Bendigo for more than half my life and I've seen Bendigo really shift and change and become much more culturally interesting and diverse. I'm really proud of what I've contributed in Bendigo. And I'm thinking back to um, teaching sex ed because I really think, like I taught it for 12 years, and I think I influenced a a whole cohort of young people around attitudes to sex and sexuality and diversity and acceptance of difference. And I've, I've heard anecdotes where that's, that reinforce that belief that that influence is out there. So my time in Bendigo, as an, working as an educator and ultimately a counsellor and now as a, as a sexologist, I think I'm a really enthusiastic supporter of things as opposed to an initiator of new things. Like, in, in my work as an educator, in my capacity within community and community groups, I'm, I join rather than initiate. But I'm a really great joiner and enthusiastic supporter. So, and I'm so proud of the, the Bendigo Pride people have done. I think they, the work and the initiative and the leadership is fantastic. How did you come to have your own ideas, progressive ideas around gender, what you were teaching in sex ed? Like, where did that come from? What informed that? I read some really early work, like the sex ed curriculum I devised. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. There was some really early work being done in Victoria Taught Not Caught, a book written by the Clarity Collective, which is a fabulous group of lesbian educators who, who put together, mostly lesbians, I think, who put together this really innovative approach to teaching sexuality education. But how I came to, to do the things the way I did was that I picked up on what, what, what resonated as, as being right for me. So maybe if I was a, a hard, heteronormative, mononormative, non-binary right-wing kind of person, then I would have been drawn to things that expressed those views. But the things I found and the things I embraced and drew upon were very much appealed to, the, to that non, non-binary view of the world. One of my favourite researchers and writers is Meg John Barker, who's British, and uh, it's their work that has that idea of the boxes is one of the examples that they use. And since reading their work, 
rewriting initially the rewriting the rules has totally exploded my my viewpoint and I've become a really passionate advocate of perceiving and and presenting the world in that there aren't boxes and the idea of the boxes there's nothing wrong with you it's just that the box that says you should fit into it doesn't fit mm. as a younger person growing up what was your experience in I guess coming to where you were comfortable my family was open-minded and supportive and my father particularly was very much positive about sexuality uh, and I didn't have a religious influence that was prescriptive that really helped my dad had been a GP and um, had also been a fighter pilot in World War II and talked about the posters in the mess hall that were warning about sexually transmissible infections. Vino, Venus, VD, that kind of thing. So, so that, that kind of, and he was germphobic. No wonder I'm germphobic and I'm really COVID conscious. He, he really influenced that the safety approach to sexuality, but also a positive approach that sexuality itself is a, is a great thing. In the hot blood of the Kirkmans was a kind of a family joke. So that was seen as a positive attribute of family. And I always say, when you're 18, you can do what you like, which was kind of permission for initiating sexual activity. My mother didn't approve. She thought I should wait longer, but, you know, but... <laughs> yeah, so a positive family environment. I read really widely, read a book a day for most of my... for decades... I suppose the things I chose there were were the early feminist or certainly women-centred and not and not restricting someone on the basis of her gender was, was, was part of that influence. Mm. Did you feel particularly different from your peers at the time? I went to an all-girls school and I actually went to a 50-year reunion end of last year and somebody said, were you happy at this school? I hadn't thought about that. And when I reflected on the question, I don't know that I was necessarily happy or unhappy. It was just where I was. And I kind of floated through and made my own space, just kept quiet, did my thing. Well, I wasn't always quiet. But um, just it was just me and I think was allowed to be me in that space. So I think part of the nature of Linda being Linda is just being fluid and finding my way into spaces and taking what I want, rejecting what I'm not interested in and just holding my own and making my own path. Did you always want to become an educator? I wanted to be a train driver when I was little. Uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to be a sculptor, I wanted to be an artist. Couldn't choose between... I got into both art and design, what was then called Paran Tech, and arts at uni, and I couldn't decide what to do and chose arts at uni. And I've often wondered what that other path would have been like because there were some really cool people in that course at Parantech in the early 70s. So I haven't always wanted to be an educator. I love being an educator. I love being an educator. It sounds like you're good at it. Well, yeah, I'm fabulous. Bring- Modest, fabulous. <laughs> I, got, I got invited to a 20-year reunion of a Year 10 class who I taught Year 8 Health Ed to, Year 6 Ed to Health Ed. They didn't ask me any teachers and I decided I was having a, having a miserable day. 
But I decided I'd go because I wanted the warm fuzzies. And I got so many warm fuzzies. It was awesome. And people saying, what you taught us influences me even every day now. So that just goes to show how important those messages are, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. And if and that was the straight ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Those messages are really important. Mm. And having someone who can be caring and safe. I'm all, I'm all about psychological safety. And you know, people don't learn if they're frightened or don't feel safe or don't respect. Yeah. And how did you come to be involved in being a sexologist? It kind of flowed in. It came from, I did a master's of research, in my master's in public health, I looked at young people's attitudes to sexual health promotion and how it influenced their sexual behaviour because I was kind of fishing, had I made a difference? The answer was maybe. (laughs) Um, Although certainly after that 20-year reunion that I got invited to, it's like, yes. My PhD looked at rural baby boomers in friends with benefits relationships and I wanted to and I wanted to find out about whether the whether the relationship had influenced people's well-being, their use of safe sex and the use of health services for sexual health. And all but one of my participants said yes, the relationship had been good for their well-being. Um, and that person who said no, hadn't wanted to be in a friends with benefits relationship, had kind of been coerced into it, so that makes sense. And my PhD supervisor was a sexologist and sex therapist, and combining kind of my, all of that with my counselling work and experience, it made sense to get out on my own and do my own thing and run my own business, which I now do and love. I worked for, was a part of, have been a part of a, Kink and BDSM queer community in Melbourne for some time and have done education with them and they ran a series of had sex parties, kink and BDSM play parties and I was emotional support person at those parties for quite a while and ran also co-host. Mm, sounds like fascinating work. Humans are amazing. Humans are so diverse. People just want to be heard and respected. But yeah, just to be seen and respected for who you are. It feels like, you know, a lot of people have grown up with a very conservative background Mm. and deeply conditioned. I guess your work goes about sort of deconditioning, is that the word, or or how do you... Just giving giving permission to to let that go and do Mm. something different. Mm. A lot of people come and see me about stuff that's not specifically around being anything to do with queerness or sexual practice. Um, like I've, I might, it might just be that there's an issue with, with two people in a relationship and they happen to be poly and they, they know that I'm totally poly-friendly so they, just, they feel safe to talk about what it is with two people without having to lie or hide whatever or they're kinky or whatever. Because it's, so it's quite often fairly mainstream things but the context might not be mainstream and I'm, and they know they're safe to, to just have that there without making it near without me pathologising. Mm. Well, society's lucky to have you there, no? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to, how you want to wrap up or any final messages that you feel you'd like to put out there? Oh. 
My mantra, for want of a better description, is you've got to know what you want, ask for what you want, be prepared to call a boundary. Thank you. That's been fun. Yeah. We wandered all over the place. That was kind of random. Is that okay? Yeah. That's just the way my brain works. podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pridefinder, the Rainbow Road Trip was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pride Finder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA plus Victorians to help capture their unique stories. These conversations are frank, honest and reflect the language, thoughts, history and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes. 